Good afternoon, Karina Manashil. Welcome on VH Berries. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I am so grateful today because I know that everything was uh, going very fast for you, <laughs> especially those 240 uh, last hours. Uh, in other words, those 10 last days. No, it's, it's, it's true. It's been a bit of a whirlwind. It was two trips to New York, experiencing the premiere of Intergalactic straight into CultureCon, which we just did a panel for. And oh gosh, it's been such a celebration. It's been such a happy moment. It's been a celebration. And I feel <laughs> that the entire feature film is a celebration in itself of the city of New York City and also of social life in general. You, you, hit on, you hit on the themes exactly. It was really interesting as we were coming up with the concept of intergalactic because two of the things that came up very early, one was Scott wanting to hearken back to the most romantic time in his life, which was when he moved to New York City as a young adult pursuing music and from there living in the, the house of his producer and his family, created Day and Night alongside Dot the Genius and created this whole universe. And so when he was thinking about what is the most romantic place for love to happen, he went straight back to what was the most romantic place in his life, New York. And the other theme of it that became so clear so quickly was the idea of what modern love looks like. So the fact that you've hit on this social element of what love and dating is, is really part of what triggered what Intergalactic was going to be for us. Absolutely, Karina Manashil. And to give a little of context, you are a producer and the co-founder of Matt Solar, which is a production company behind the title that you just mentioned, which is named Intergalactic. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you are doing? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. In order to get to where we are today, I'll give you a little bit of my origin story and my background. So <laughs> I, 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 it's, I feel like it always helps create the context. Um, but basically, I'm from L.A., Iraqi, Iranian, Jewish, first generation American. Uh, my pursuit of film was all pretty structured and uh, you know traditional in the sense that I went to film school. Out of that started in the mailroom at William Morris Endeavor, which was my, my badge of honor. Within the system, I became a talent agent. And one of the clients that I represented was Kid Cudi, Scott Mascuti. We'll call him Scott here because that's what he <laughs> that's what he'd ask us to do. So in and in working with him, he became this marquee client for me in the sense that he and I it was as if we found each other when we needed each other most. He was in this mode of happiness and pursuit of endeavors and creativity and opening up what he was thought to be capable of. And I was in this moment of getting my feet on the ground as an agent and trying to figure out exactly what type of storytelling I wanted to be involved in. And we just found each other. And through that, that first started in a representative client relationship where you know, you're working on building opportunities for him as an actor, supporting his ideas as a creator, and essentially creating a holistic idea of what his life could look like beyond the music that he was already known for and the acting roles that he had already done. 
And from there, it became so clear in my relationship with him that Scott was this generator of ideas. I mean, he is outrageously brilliant, but not only that, he actually, <laughs> he really is. But he puts his pen to paper and does the work. I mean, he was sending a script he'd written. He, Intergalactic was an idea that he had come up with, feeling like visuals to music were disconnected. How do we create something new? And as all of this was coming together, it became so clear to me this guy is ripe for a company. I mean, this is bigger than just uh, traditional talent. Like, he really, his ideas are so vast and so immersive and so smart and so culture facing. So the creation of the company became one that was wrought with serendipity. So as Scott had, I called it this waterfall of press moment where there was a month where a ton of press came out about him and these roles he was doing. Aaron Gilbert, who runs the finance company Braun and had done a movie with Scott years ago, reached out to him to reconnect. And as they were talking about building a project together in January of 2020, Aaron came into my office and I was explaining, God, I feel like Scott needs a company. And Aaron goes, well, I'll do that for you. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. And I swear to you, it was that easy. From then, we started creating the deal terms. And by around May, we'd finish what the relationship structure between Mad Solar, our new entity, and Braun was going to be. And then from there, you know, COVID happened. All of our workday blinders were down. And I was like, I got it. The idea of hiring somebody to run this company made me sick to my stomach. I knew I had to be the person who did it. So I spoke to everybody involved. And that was the move. So at that point, I moved over to Mad Solar. We officially formed January 2021 once the long forms were all closed. And that gets into my role. I know this is a long way of answering your question, but uh, that gets into my role now, which is essentially Scott's partner and Dennis's partner, who's Scott's longtime manager and friend from Shaker Heights, who co-founded Mad Solar alongside the two of us. And essentially what we do is build projects in film and TV and in other arenas because the beauty of Scott too is that he's not he's not uh, limited by any medium. He could call you one day and say, we're doing a clothing line and all of a sudden he'll be in Paris Fashion Week in January or call you another day and say, let's make a comic book. Another day, let's make a video game and let's create action figures. And it's just this ever evolving <laughs> wide, cool experience, which is so different than just the foundational of what film and TV is and really expands into what creativity can look like. Karina Manachel, when I'm listening to you, I can feel that uh, you are like an athlete because you are making <laughs> producing so easy to see on the outside because uh, since the beginning of this decade, there is at least a project a year, which uh, makes me feel that um, before the end of 2014, uh, the end of the decade, yeah. you will achieve 10 projects in 10 years. Oh my gosh. I, I love the way you're looking at that. And now that's the new goal. You set it out for me. That is, that is incredibly sweet. I mean, it was, it was amazing how quickly things started to come together. And I think part of what was so meaningful for Mad Solar were there were a couple of projects that were being set up as we formed the company, which included Scott's documentary, A Man Named Scott, for Amazon, and also Intergalactic, which took three years to put together start to finish. So that was a, a long lead into it. But then even as the company formed, there were other projects that we were able to come on to 
most notably Ty West trilogy for A24, X, Pearl, and Maxine, which was an incredible, incredible opportunity that really defined what it feels like to work with an outside creator on their idea and to support them and their vision, but also feels so in line with the way that Scott creates and what a Mad Solar project is supposed to feel like. So that really was an outrageous blessing out the gate to uh, to get a partner with him on his insane, wicked, awesome, avant-garde idea of what period horror could look like. Absolutely, and Karina Manashil, uh, this triangle with those three uh, co-founders is a team who is <laughs> winning. Uh, what would say would be uh, the DNA of uh, that relationship? Because you told me that uh, uh, Scott was uh, above the traditional talents, uh, <laughs> having a very uh, powerful uh, fingerprint on the culture. What was that uh, uh, DNA? That's a great question. So the way that the way that uh, working with Scott has come together, it really starts, and what I learned very quickly in working with him, and this is incumbent of many musicians and certainly Scott, is that musicians almost operate within a closed fist. So there's a very tight circle all around them of people they trust. Included in that was his manager, Dennis Cummings, who's our partner. And like I said, they grew up in Shaker Heights together. They've known each other their whole lives. And essentially, right after Day and Night had come out, Dennis started working with him as his road manager, and then that evolved into a full manager. So in the very beginning, working with Scott, when he was within the agency, everything essentially bounced off the outer rings of the circle. You would call Dennis, and that would be who you were talking to, but the talent is protected by that circle. Eventually, what ended up happening is that you became a part of that circle of trust. So all of a sudden, you're you're in that close fist, and the level of loyalty and camaraderie and creativity and togetherness that came with that was something that I'd never experienced with any other piece of talent. It's just, it's, it's a very special thing that musical artists have by the foundation of the people that they grew up with. So I would say how our DNA ended up evolving was that Dennis, who is such a music brain and has been such a part of Scott's life in that industry, has brought all of the specificity and creativity and world building that has to do with music. And then my specialty being film and TV, traditional entertainment and all of it, that was my playing field and place that I knew the most. But then what ended up happening really quickly, and again, I use intergalactic so often because it's such a DNA example of what we could do, is that <laughs> became the bridge of, well, how does music inform storytelling and how does storytelling inform music? And then you really have that, what that triangle can look like at its finest, where everybody's coming to the table, Scott with his expertise and creativity, me with my knowledge of film and and. TV, Dennis with his knowledge of music, and we're essentially building a project alongside the most stellar team you could ever imagine of Kenya Barris, who made this possible at Netflix and also brought in the idea of animation to Ian Edelman and Maurice Williams, who co-show ran the series to Fletch Moles, who's the animation director and brought the most outrageous team of artists, 350 plus all over the world to hand draw frame by frame what intergalactic was going to feel like. So I think, you know, considering DNA, it's like that is the, the perfect version of it, which is us, you know, with our specialties, but then you expand it to the entire world view of what a project can entail. And that vision just up in our heads and definitely 
from the very inception up in Scott's head touches everybody and becomes the big vision. Since the inception, that fusion between storytelling and music, and I can make a direct parallel with Intergalactic concerning your relationship uh, and how it is solid a little bit like the worry plant that is growing <laughs> in the bedroom of the main character. <laughs> oh gosh, it's it, it's so funny. I feel like I feel like my job and maybe it's by virtue of just a positive outlook on life which is due to having a great family and always having a smile is to make any worry plants disappear <laughs> that's I, I i more than anything that may be my role is just to be a beacon of light so no no worry plants can come close actually uh Karina Manashil, what is the, the purpose of, of uh, worry plants? Because we can see it growing days after days, nights after night. But is it a, a way to uh, relieve stress? So within Intergalactic, the idea of the worry plant was a response to kind of the outside world putting ideas in your head that affect your art. So... Jabari has such a holistic experience creating Mr. Rager. There's that feels like true artistry. No corporate has come into it. It's just been him and his creation. And as soon as Mr. Rager takes on a new life is starting to exist with inside the structure of a corporate building. And this seed gets planted of, is your artwork actually what they're looking for? Is there's just something about having it that's what they want? And they want to actually change it. And like your, your inception isn't the right thing. So for Jabari, that became the worry plan. It's, am I doing the right thing? And is my artistry going to be honored? And am I going to be affected? Or am I going to be affected negatively by everything else that exists around me? And I feel like within Intergalactic, the beauty is, is that the death of the worry plan for Jabari was the involvement of Meadow, who gave him a sense of self-confidence and self-belief that made it that it was obvious. It's of course the way that I act as an artist is the way that this should be. And frankly, if they don't get that, then then, then this isn't the right marriage for us anyway. But I'm not going to be inauthentic to who I am and to this character that I created. And that's the death of the worry plan. So maybe if we apply that to to kind of all of our lives, the metaphorical worry plan, there is something to be said about finding camaraderie, which can be family, friendships, romance, any of it that helps build our self-confidence and our sense of self, where all of a sudden we're not being touched by all of these external factors trying to put different ideas in our heads. A very powerful word, Karina Manashil, that you just mentioned is changes because enter galactic embodies multiple changes obviously with the thousands of chapters that we're going through uh, while we are uh, following the character but also and because it is one of the main purpose of uh, animations a lot of very powerful transition yeah Yeah, and this was this was very much credit to Fletch and to Maurice and Ian with how they <laughs> saw those transitions. I, I remember it was interesting just after having seen the show come out and you're reading all of these responses. It was I, I on it. You'll see. Um, I almost never hang out on Twitter, but 
Intergalactic brought me there. I've never had more fun than just getting to see how people were reacting. And I remember Scott tweeted out, tell me some of your favorite moments of the show. And a few different people said, when Jabari is riding in his bike and all of a sudden he's in space and the meteor comes to crashing toward him and then it ends up being the taxi that's like, like you know, drawing him off of his path, <laughs> path on the bicycle. And that was so interesting that people were were responding to a transition moment, something that takes you out of your ethereal headspace and brings you back down to reality. And I really do give Fletch, Maurice, and Ian the credit for being able to see how do we fluidly move story that feels authentic to how we interact as people and getting in a daydream and being pulled out of it by the real world coming crashing down is a very honest version of that. I'll say too, there was something really interesting because we had Scott's songs <laughs> leading into it. Scott's music also drew into some of those transitions. So we knew exactly where the music was going to play, what beats we needed to hit. And we also knew it's like, okay, well, we have to also find our ways out of the music when it's appropriate. And that creativity really came from the trio. In definitive, Karina Manashiel, the character of uh, Jay Barry, was often uh, dreaming he was a man on the moon. <laughs> he, he is, isn't he? <laughs> it's, it's amazing because it draws so much from Scott, but it's also very different from Scott. I, you know, Jabari, Jabari feels like one side of him. One thing that Scott wanted with Jabari, he's like, I don't, I want Jabari just to be a happy dude. Like, I don't want him to feel like he's weighed down by any sense of depression or past experience or that there's, uh, there's something you know, tr holding him to the, his feet to the ground where he's stuck in the mud. I want Jabari to be in a place where things are finally starting to work out for him. But the one thing he doesn't have is love. And is he ready for that? And how is he going to handle that? And is he ready to embrace that? And I thought there was something, because it feels like Scott will say things and he'll be like, oh, that sounds like Jabari. And it's obviously he's the voice, but there's things that he says. You're like, oh, it's so Jabari of you. But it's also different from who Scott is. So the things of the man on the moon is certainly a Scott reference of how he experiences music and colors and his daydreams and his fantasies and all of it. But Jabari is just the like the lightest version of that where he's not tethered down. And to add one other thing, because this was something I especially loved in this in the creation of this show and of Jabari and where he was at his life, I loved that this show created this version of settled down adulthood, which is this idea that it wasn't like Jabari was just out of college trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life or any of that, but he'd already achieved that part. And now was at this point, he got the big job. He has the cool apartment, like everything that those promises that you're trying to cling to as a young adult, he's achieved. But so now he's in a place of settled down adulthood. And then you take Meadow, who's equally in the same place. Her photography is taking off. She's at the gallery. She's got her apartment. She's got her group of friends and she's settled down. And what the one thing that each of them don't have is one another. And are they ready to take one another? And if they do, they're now in a place where that needs to be, or not to say it needs to be, can be permanent love. And are they willing to accept that and to take each other in stride in that moment? So that was another, just one of my favorite parts is that I love that, that kind of coined term, settled down adulthood, this moment in their lives. That's very inspiring, Karina Manashil. And there is also another very practical side of uh, living uh, 
next to each other, <laughs> which is that if one day they are re uh, reuniting, they will just need to break the wall. So true, right? They're gonna have the mega loft. <laughs> we might need to embed that in season two if it happens. Is the idea of this wall being torn down, and that's how they finally share a space together. And on one hand, there is uh, Karina Manashiel, the uh, taxi transition that you just mentioned, that almost uh, hitted uh, the character's uh, bike. But on the other hand, there are some small details uh, that I noticed, um, such as the QR code on one of the shop at yeah. uh, minutes 18 and 54 <laughs> seconds. That leads us to entergalactic2.com, which is the official website of the movie and uh, the album. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing you found that. We had so much fun and a lot of it by virtue of the fact that we had a lot of time with this project, filling it with Easter eggs and seeing people find them has blown me away because the truth of it is those QR codes that we've embedded in there, even by the process of Adding them, the only one, however many times I've been able to find watch the show, is that one that you mentioned on top of the grocery store. And that's because it was the first one we did and it was an example in a meeting of, okay, this is where the QR code will go, do what I want is playing and here it is. But other than that, I, I'd watch the show and I couldn't find the QR codes. And it was a marvel to me that so quickly within the first weekend of release, you saw somebody find a QR code. So that was, it's just amazing. And it was so much fun to have this opportunity to create little moments for the fans. I mean, some of the other things that they picked up on was the poster of the Scots or the Kid Cudi emblem on one of the posters in the background, or even in the art gallery scene at the end, there's a, there's a wall of dogs. And within that is Freshy, who's Scott's dog. And also actually what people may not know is dogs from a lot of different members of the crew. So people drew their own dogs to go alongside Freshy. So there were all these little moments of embedded joy that we had in there. And it's been a real joy to get to see people find them. And Karen and Manashil, I am actually suspecting you to... Uh have included the Waverly Inn and Gordon restaurant, who <laughs> maybe is your favorite places in Manhattan. Honestly, the, the view of Manhattan, I think it certainly goes to the artist and also to Maurice, who's from there. I think he embedded a lot of what the city feels like, even what the difference between going to a party in Brooklyn and going to a party in Manhattan is going to feel like. And for me, what was kind of interesting is that now going to New York for these premieres, it felt a little bit like being an intergalactic. I mean, I was driving in that, in that high rise that the party is in, uh, gosh, I wish I knew the name of the building, but it's that apartment complex during the do what I want sequence. I was driving by it on the way to the airport coming home from Brooklyn back to the city. And it was just, gosh, I can't believe, you know, I look at this and I don't see New York. I see intergalactic first. That's really special. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. And now I wouldn't be surprised of anything for the sequel. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to see some berries hanging on his kitchen on the sequel. Honestly, it, it, even as much as was explored, there's room for more. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is a cute story, which I, I haven't told yet that I think you might enjoy. But all of that specificity even came down to the Karina character, which was a really, really sweet moment for me that Scott included, you know, 
a character named Karina based on me. And how that character came together was uh, we were all sitting in the writer's room, which at this point was Scott's studio at East West Studios. And the way we were crafting the story at this point, this was before the, the writers had come on beyond Ian and Maurice, is we would all sit in the studio and Ian and Maurice had a gigantic whiteboard of everything that was going to happen in every episode, where the songs are going to play and all of it. And each of the six parts was coming together like that. And as we're sitting in the room, we were kicking around who could Meadow's friends be? We already knew Jimmy and Kai were Jabari's friends. Who are Meadow's friends? And we're sitting there. And I'm pregnant with my with my first child, who is my daughter, Jordana. And he, Scott goes, well, there's a character named Karina. And we all start laughing. And he's like, no, her name is Karina. And she's dope as hell. And she's Meadow's equal. And they're on completely the same wavelength. But Karina has what Meadow aspires to have, which is uh, she has family. She's a husband. She's about to have a baby. And those are the things that Meadow is looking for. So when Scott said that, I can't even begin on how much I melted to the floor, not only because he saw me and was talking about me in such a way, but because he was including my daughter in that story. And so for me, getting to watch Intergalactic and seeing Karina who's pregnant and seeing you know, what that meant for her and her having her baby and Meadow and Jabari being a part of it. And then in real life, the truth of it is, is my daughter is utterly obsessed with Scott. She, you know, as she was forming her words, she heard Kid Cuddy and called him Kagi. So she calls him Kagi, bar none. She's in love with him. Their relationship is the cutest thing I'd ever seen. So I'm like, I don't know, Scott, if you even knew this gift that you'd given her and this gift that you'd given me that forever intergalactic for me is going to be this moment of having my first child and like that experience is captured in this incredible performance by Vanessa Hudgens and what Karina means so yeah down to down to the characters there was there was personal and gifts from Scott <laughs> and Karina Manashir I can also see a lot of meaning in the letters and the words that you've been using all along your uh, journey, for example, um, with uh, Kid Cudi uh, extended uh, creative universe with the words moon, the yeah. word galactic from enter galactic, but also in uh, with the word solar yeah. from mad solar. What is the meaning of uh, the production company uh, name? Gosh, you are you are so astute. Nothing gets by you. It's amazing. You notice all of these things that are so embedded in Scott. So Scott very quickly became the man on the moon. And a lot of how he sees the world, a lot of how he explores his universe is very reactive to space. So even Intergalactic came out of a song that he had done years ago, which was about a, uh, a guy and a girl on a date on shrooms and experiencing the world together. And for him, Intergalactic felt like that kind of entry point for romance, which led itself into this series. Matt Solar was also a name that he coined, which had to do with creativity and vibrance and the unexpected. Matt is already a word that like opens up mischievousness and all of it. And I think the company is indicative of that. We want to be a place that faces culture in terms of our kind of 
thesis point across all of our projects, which might be in any medium or across the gambit, the thing that marries them together is that feeling of answering, why are you telling this today? Which sounds wildly obvious. Any producer should ask that question. But for us, it's like, that's who Scott is as an artist. He's, if I express my vulnerability in this moment and someone connects to it, they're no longer alone. So I want to be honest to that. And in our side, we want to be honest to that too. So Mad Solar is really just like kicking in that, uh, that like creative juice and freedom and something that feels a little bit different, potentially unexpected, but certainly something that speaks to culture. That's very inspiring, Karina Manashiel. And uh, I just mentioned that the releases of Intergalactic was actually 10 days ago on yeah. Friday, September the f uh, 40. Uh, 30th, is yeah. There a deliberate choice around the release date? Is there something with the astrology and <laughs> the alignment of you know, the stars? Maybe, I don't know. That is, it's such a good question. It accidentally had a, became a beautiful story. So we, with Netflix from early, I mean, I think it was from January of this year, <laughs> we're going back and forth between the 23rd and the 30th of September. And it was between those two dates, between those two dates. And ultimately Netflix says we're going to do it on the 30th. And what ended up happening with the 30th, which we didn't even consider as it was coming together, was that happened to be Virgil Abloh's birthday. And our, our intergalactic experience is dedicated to Virgil, who's Scott's one of Scott's dearest friends and had created such an impact on the show by agreeing to style all of these characters. And he created these designs and opened off-white's runways and all of it to us to really understand the fabric of who these characters are, which was indicative of their style and fashion sense. And Virgil was actually, too, one of the first people on the project with us because I remember even when Kenya Barris first brought the idea of animation, the first thing that Scott said on that call was like, yeah, but they can't just wear the same thing every day like any cartoon. Like if this is New York and this is the culture, they would change, like they need to change their clothes. And we sat there and we're like, well, why not? Yeah, I mean, they should. And at that point, Scott reached out to his friend Virgil and asked if he would participate in the in the creation of the wardrobe, which he, he agreed to and was a really, a really moving experience for so many reasons, not only because of his vision and his artistry, and there's nobody cooler than him in terms of what he saw with fashion, but also he was so thoughtful to story and understood that no character would have the same style. So it wasn't, let me just put them all in the coolest clothes that I have, but let me be very distinctive to what these characters would specifically wear. And I think all of that and all of it landing on Virgil's birthday, for us, you know, it was not on purpose, but certainly the astrology and the stars and all of it aligned in the very end for that to be how the show was released. Absolutely, Karina Manashiel. You just mentioned uh, the fashion uh, of the characters that uh, are always hanging around with very colorful and uh, beautiful clothes, including a sweatshirt with a spe very special <laughs> word, which is closure, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes, the closure hoodie. It was interesting because that was a that was the one article of clothing that was a story point. So even in the early inception of how the story of Intergalactic was going to work, the closure hoodie became a part of it. 
And I love too, there was such an interesting way of, of using words throughout the show. Like as you're introducing Carmen, there's the FedEx truck that drives by and it finishes and it leaves the X. So you get to understand out the gate who Carmen is. And obviously when he takes the closure <laughs> hoodie away and the word closure is left on left on the screen, you understand what's finally happened for Jabari. So getting after that to create the closure hoodie and Jeff Staple did the most extraordinary version of it, which... I mean, he's a, he's a genius and it already feels like we're getting comments of I got my Halloween costume, I already have my camo pants, I just needed my closure hoodie and I'm ready to be Jabari and all of these reactions to it has been so much fun and so cool to take an idea that really started as a story point then became a fashion point and now has become an in, in IRL <laughs> and in real life article of clothing and seeing how much people are appreciating it. I feel, Karina Manashil, that it might have another meaning uh, related to closure because I feel that this is the best way for extroverts <laughs> to pretend that he's an introvert by uh, <laughs> suggesting that his feelings and uh, his expression are closed. That's so, it's so interesting. You're the first person to say that. And, I, and you know what? There probably is a side to that because every artist... I would assume, I would say, maybe I'm being a little bit brass and saying every artist, but I feel there needs to probably be a combination between trust of those around you and the collaborative of the process, but also this moment of freedom of expression all by yourself to understand what your vision is, what your voice is, what your style is, and what defines you and what your artistry is supposed to mean. So for Jabari to experience that, that sense of closure, even as an artist, as he's identifying his style and Mr. Rager and what all of that means, it would make sense. There has to be a place where he can be alone to create. And Karina Manashil, you should have your own sweatshirt with another <laughs> word, which is endeavor, because I would love to discuss about all of the other projects that are surrounding and uh, coming before Enter Galactic. Uh, I just mentioned that you are making uh, one feature film per year. This is very true with uh, X, uh, with PL, and even before with the documentary, a, May, a Man Named Scott. Yeah, oh gosh, you're, you're so sweet. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really incredible to get to participate in these projects so early out the gate. A Man Named Scott was a really interesting exploration of Scott's first 10 years in music and also an affirmation of what it feels like to be on the other side and to be okay and to show that there is there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And Scott is really in a mode where he's experiencing that. And then X, Pearl, and now Maxine, which will follow and has just been announced as well as the third film, all, all by Ty West uh, in partnership with Mia Goth and Jacob Jaffke and, and Kevin Turin and Harrison Christ and Sam Levinson and the whole gambit of people, Ashley Levinson, the whole gambit of people that's been involved in it has been a real, has been a real blessing. And I feel even starting from Scott first getting dinner with Ty after seeing the House of the Devil years ago into my relationship with A24 from WME uh, starting and bringing that to Mad Solar and our relationships with Sam Levinson and team doing the same. Having this partnership on these films has been so meaningful for us because it's really opened 
the world to what <laughs> horror can look like. And also, it also, I mean, like, if I'm going to be a little selfish, it gave me one of my favorite performances that Scott has ever done. And I'll give you a little bit of the history on it because this is a, a, a cute story. So when we, I came over to Mad Solar, uh, I spoke to Noah Sacco at A24 about what the company was and what we're doing. And he's like, oh, you know, there's a script coming in from Ty West. I feel like this is really right for you. It's like, scream but 1970s and porno and like you just you wait i'm like this sounds incredible meanwhile scott was already executive producing malcolm and marie for sam levinson who i've known a long time because my husband represents him and and that whole company and so they already had it had scott in mind and then Ty, from this dinner years ago, had already been thinking about Scott for X. So when the script came in and casting all started, all of them came to the table and said, Scott and Mad Solar. And so Scott was presented this opportunity either to choose to play Jackson Hole, the porn star, or RJ, the director. And I remember reading the script and then sending it to him. And I was like, okay, can I tell him I want him to be the porn star? I'm like, no, I should probably, like, maybe it's too much. Like, let me just let him read it and make, make his own choice. So Scott sent the script, read it immediately, calls me back. And he's like, I want to play the porn star. And I had this internal celebration of like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Also like Scott is a porn star. This is so much fun. Like this is great for me. I feel like this is a present. I was so happy. And then that obviously evolved into what X became, which to me was one of my favorite Scott performances. It's all swagger. It's cool. He's funny. It's just like this awesome, awesome, awesome version of Scott being his coolest. And a funny thing that came out of this too, which uh, Scott recently mentioned, is that so obviously as a porn star, there are porn scenes within the movie. And Scott had told his mom, look, like of all the things, I want you to watch everything I do, but like maybe you don't want to see this one. But she'd been hearing such great things. She's like, Scott, I really want to watch this movie. So Scott tells this to Ty and Ty goes, well, I'll do a mommy edit and literally edits the film just for Scott's mom, removing Scott's sex scenes so that she can watch it without having the experience of needing to see <laughs> her son in any of these in any of these positions. So for I mean, the, the experiences you can hear was just joyous. There's something almost impossible about how this movie came together. And certainly Pearl is a follow up which essentially happened because Ty and Nia, while they're in quarantine on X, write Pearl, send it to A24, like, well, we're ready in New York. Uh, sorry, excuse me, we're ready in New Zealand. Let, let's let just shoot them back to back. And A24, to their credit, which is ridiculous, is like, great, here, go. So they actually went straight from X, didn't leave New Zealand, straight into shooting Pearl, and then had a situation where X could come out in South by Southwest and Pearl could come out in Venice and Tiff in the same year. So this whole franchise is just wrought with absurdism and outrageousness that is reserved for this group. <laughs> the, these people who are capable of doing the unexpected and have certainly given us the most wonderful experience getting to partner with them on it and just go through that journey. And again, selfishly, one of my favorite performances I've ever gotten to see Scott do. This uh, franchise is happily going to have a sequel. Uh, yes. <laughs> the sequel of X will be named uh, Maxine, but not Maxine like a first name. I mean Maxine with three X letter, but not only three X letter, three X letter in capital letters. There you go. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, I swear Ty knew it was gonna be called Maxine with the triple X early on. Like he he knew he knew what what was coming. He had coined the perfect phrase for it. And it really is. I mean, Maxine is going to be the triple X badass in this film. And it'll be such another incredible opportunity to see Mia do something different. Because if you think about it, from X, she was playing both Maxine and Old Pearl, then went straight into Pearl where she's playing Young Pearl. So over the course of a few months, she was playing three different characters at different parts in their lives. And then Maxine, you get to see, well, what's going to become of Maxine post this ex experience and acknowledging what a cool, like raucous chick she already is, who's so clear about what her dreams are. You can imagine what Maxine will lead into. Absolutely. And Karina Manashil, on a more personal side, um, if we dive into your professional uh, workspace and workforce, uh, what would you say uh, is your way of working as the day of today? Because you're always uh, going into new direction, for example, into comic books, uh, video games, multiple cultural properties. How do you uh, manage your time every 24 hours? <laughs> Gosh, I feel I feel incredibly fortunate because I'm partnered with a creator who's such a generator of ideas. So I feel like my job is a little different than, uh, you know, the hyper traditional, which is so much of my responsibility is actually reacting to Scott's ideas and creating a platform for him to build out these thoughts that he has. So in, in, in any arena, as you've mentioned, because he works within so many different mediums. And that is a real, that's my favorite part because all of a sudden you're stretching these different muscles that within the agency you wouldn't have been able to do since your focus was primarily within one discipline. So learning the comic book industry and getting to partner with you know, people who really understand that space and following their lead and getting to build into that world is something that is very new. and. And in the same breath, as you're in the middle of that creation, Scott will call you and say, well, I want to write a memoir. And all of a sudden we're sitting down and I'm typing up his thoughts and a memoir is coming together and you're experiencing these stories through him. So that's the majority of my focus really is in these Scott ideas. And then the other half of it is finding creators that we want to champion who feel reflective of what this idea is of facing culture and doing something that feels fresh and new. So some of those artists as examples that we partnered with, one is Brandon Taylor, who is the author of this novel, Real Life, which was his debut novel that was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. And we've been so fortunate that he has been adapting his novel into a screenplay that Scott would star in based on this character, Wallace, who's loosely based on his own experiences. So partnering with him and getting to help craft and support really, because the crafting is really done by him, but really helps support his vision and his new version of storytelling has been joyous. And on another kind of creative scope, we partnered with this artist, Jaron Braxton, who is a very kind of hype creator who is uh, from Indiana and basically started, you know, making music and wanted to create cool music videos and self-taught himself animation that became a very distinct style that erupted. And he then won Sundance with his animation and then went on to do things that were very culture facing himself, like 
His artwork was featured in the first Christie's NFT auction alongside Takashi Murakami. He worked with Virgil Abloh at, on his Art Basel uh, display. And all of these pieces have started to circle him. So he now will go into his first, uh, his directorial debut as a feature. And we now have this opportunity of getting to support him in that. So I would say, you know, you've got the Scott side of it and supporting him in his projects. And then the other side is us as a collective supporting artists who follow the, the messaging in their projects. And Karina Manashil, in the Scott side and more globally in the hip hop side, there is this very powerful ideas of, uh, for example, owning the masters, the original uh, recordings. This is related to freedom. And I can feel that in your cases, by started from an assistant to a coordinator and then an agent and then leaving WME, you are also reaching freedom. You, you know, you're so right. And I, I loved my experience at WME. I absolutely loved it. I was so happy. Um, I felt like WME really supported, really supported you coming up with your own ideas and paving your own way for yourself. So even as an example, even when I was an assistant, I was working for a TV talent agent and it was right when House of Cards and True Detective came out. So you could see the shift toward television. So I wanted to stick in the department, which I did. And then they created a coordinator position for me in TV talent and then into agents. So there was a lot of freedom there. And then the other keys about WME in my experience was anybody would take your calls. So you were able to craft what are the things that I'm really interested in doing and who are the people I want to meet who can do the same. And then also you had a proximity to talent that you couldn't have achieved elsewhere. So the fact that Scott was already a client of WME and I was passionate about him and was allowed to work on his team really became the definitive part of how the rest of my career unfolded. And I think that foundation was so valuable to me and so important to me and I couldn't have achieved the other side of it without having it. But to your point, there is a level of freedom in finding a creative partner who really mirrors the way in which you see the world and gives you the looseness to exploring your own creativity and getting to build alongside them. And also is really appreciative of the process of it. As an example, just to explain that, Scott had always said with music, he works with collaborators and partners, but in a lot of ways, the buck starts and stops with him. So he has to be inspired to write the song. He has to write the song. He has to, you know, record with his team, listen to the final and say, okay, the song is finished. So even though there's parties all throughout, he feels very responsible. But with film and TV, he actually has the flexibility to let others take the lead for him when it's appropriate. So being Scott's partner in that and allow and him allowing me to have that flexibility and freedom to create alongside him and feel, you know, the tangibility of what that is and the fulfillment of what that is has really defined what this new role is for me. And uh, to your point, it is one of freedom. In definitive, Karina Manashil, uh, this idea and images of uh, the mirror can be applied uh, to uh, Mido and Jabari because they are superheroes. Oh, I, I love that you see them that way. There's something so 
magical about Jabari and Meadow because you watch them and you feel like you know them <laughs> or you want to hang out with them. Like, I want a friend like Meadow. She's so freaking cool. I want to do my eyeliner like her. I want to style my hair like her. Like, she is so cool. She's so cool. She's awesome. <laughs> and Jabari the same. You see somebody like Jabari and his sweetness and his big eyes and how he cares and how much he loves and his artistry and all of it. And you're like, man, I want to, I want to be, I want to meet a Jabari. I, you know, I want to achieve love like they have. I want to experience the world like they do. So the fact that, the fact that Jabari and Meadow are real is amazing, but there is something superhero about them because the artwork and the creativity and all of it lends itself to the imagination of the possibilities of what people could be like and what love could feel like and how intergalactic it could be. So yeah, it's, it's the, it's a beautiful immersion of both. Absolutely. Karina Manashilen. When I was watching that feature film, I was expecting that superhero reveal, for example, <laughs> by replacing the closure with maybe a huge J letter. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe the one thing, the one thing we were missing. I think, uh, I think you're right. And I think the, at, at the very least, uh, Jabari's superhero badge of honor would be Mr. Rager. Cause I think that's probably his alter ego identity. If he had all the freedom in the world, he would want to be a Mr. Rager. Congratulations for Intergalactic. You took that project to another dimension. Thank you very much, oh. Karina Manashil. Victor, thank you to no end. This was so joyous for me, and I'm so touched that you welcome me and spend all of this time with me. I had the greatest time speaking to you and getting to know you, so thank you.